according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in John chapter 21. John 21, we are almost complete, really, with this uh, episode. We are in main point five, sub point C. And uh, really all we have after that is a D, with a one, two, and a three. And then main point six. So we're actually very close to the end of, uh, of this episode. We're dealing now with Peter's private prompt. And I just kind of got carried away with my P's there. Peter's private prompt. All right. Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And the interchange between uh, agape and phileo and the interchange between oida and gnosko, the parallel use of bosco with poimino, I think that's significant. That's what we're going to talk about today is the shepherding impact of this passage. He's given three imperatives, and whether it's bosco or poimano, it's both being used here. Uh, the impact is shepherd, shepherd, shepherd my sheep, shepherd my flock. Tend my lambs. All right. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today is the shepherding impact on this. We then have three affirmations that prompts the Lord's prophecy concerning Peter's martyrdom. And I hope we'll uh, we'll get there today. Um, let's see. There. Uh, Peter, this, uh, we haven't given this yet. This is preview. We'll be there shortly, but. Subpoint D under 5, Peter's three affirmations prompts the Lord's prophecy concerning Peter's martyrdom. The Lord actually has words about what's going to happen when Peter is older and how he's going to be led where he does not want to go. And as verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. And he said this signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And so this is a, an anticipation of Peter's martyrdom, which church tradition tells us was nailed to a cross. He was crucified. Um, the legend is that he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't. He wasn't worthy to uh, die in the same manner as his Lord. But anyway, we'll deal with that. Um, and uh, a misunderstanding that came because of that. For the moment, though, we're still in main point C, where we observe the... Um, the place of Peter in the scripture tradition of shepherding. The scripture tradition of shepherding. This passage demonstrates Peter's place within the Bible's significant shepherding emphasis. The Bible has a significant shepherding emphasis. Old Testament and New Testament alike. And in that significant shepherding emphasis, Peter plays a, a big role. All right, and we'll uh, we'll see that here today. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask the Father to bless our thinking, to bless our study. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the privilege we have to assemble together. This is a grace blessing for us, Father, and has been for many years. We thank you. We're approaching the conclusion of this series, Father, not too long from now. It's just uh, our, our delight, Father, to rejoice in the grace that you have supplied. Thank you for uh, the study today. Set aside distractions. Take hold of our thinking, Father. Fix our eyes firmly upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Yes, just for the setting. Um, you understand that the charcoal fire here is the setting for this, just as it was for Peter's three denials. And what we have in this episode is we have his restoration, as it were. It's often written that way in commentaries and whatnot. Peter had three denials in John 18, and they took place by a charcoal fire. And so Jesus brings him to a charcoal fire, and in the presence of witnesses, at least six other disciples besides uh, Peter, um, in the in the presence of a charcoal fire, uh, Jesus insists upon three declarations of law. Do you love me? And he doesn't stop with the first, doesn't stop with the second. He demands the third, which is what grieves Peter. The third one is what grieves him. He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And so the three affirmations, how I've labeled it, the three affirmations serve as a contrast to the three denials. And they are affirmations of Peter's law. All right. Uh, the interchange contains those contrasts, the, par- the pairs of synonyms. Agapao, phileo, oida, gnosko, basco, poimano, arnion, pabaton. And um, that's as far as I'm going to take it. I'm not going to try to build a huge case. I, I've, I've read everything that's out there and, and all the distinctions between agapao and phileo and so forth. And and why um, it is so significant. And none of those cases convinces me. Uh, None of those cases convinces me to the point that I'm going to teach it to you guys uh, as far as why when Jesus said, uh, do you agapao me? And and Peter says, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Um, You know, am I going to build a huge doctrine on that? Do you agapao me? Lord, you know I phileo you. Do you phileo me? And so Jesus finally, in the third time around, adapts to use the term that Peter had used the first two times. And uh, Peter's grieved at that. And then says, Lord, you know I follow you. And it's, it's like the point that, that Peter just wasn't listening. Uh, the impact, though, is if you do love me, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. That your, your shepherd ministry will be a reflection of your love for Jesus Christ. And that's true for every gift, every ministry, every effect, everything that we do in the church age. When we serve one another, it's because we love Jesus Christ, not because we love the person we're serving. We probably despise the person we're serving. You know, we, we might. We might. Their personality might drive us up a wall. In human terms, if, if they weren't saved and I wasn't saved, I'd probably hate their guts. Okay? That's irrelevant. Because they are saved and I am saved and I love the Lord, then I'm called upon to serve. I'm called upon to shepherd. And my role is a shepherd. Your role, uh, based on your gifts and ministries and effects, is what it is so anyway if you were hoping for more notes on agape and phileo uh then i have let you down and disappointed you so uh confess that and um let's move on this passage demonstrates peter's place within the bible's significant shepherding emphasis and we got started on this last week and we'll get right back to it i want to pick up with um uh, the prophets here with isaiah jeremiah ezekiel i think these are huge But understand, uh, not to return to all these verses, but shepherding has a huge place in the Bible, all right? And there's a reason for that. And I think it's dismissed, it's ignored, it's blown off by modern churchianity, and that's heartbreaking. Because they just dismiss that and say, well, you know, that's part of the Bible's uh, primitive uh, culture. That's back in Bible times, they were 
they were shepherds and they were herdsmen and they were farmers and they were very agricultural. And they just kind of dismiss it as if an agricultural world in which the Bible was written is has nothing to do with our modern technological world and so let's just ignore it. Let's try to change the Bible. Let's adapt the Bible so that we can have, uh, you know, we can have uh, encouraging, uh, you know, exhortations to us today in our modern sensibilities, in our modern um, standing. And, and it's, it's unfortunate that when they update the Bible, of course, they change all the morality. They update, you know, they say, well, you know, that's just primitive God, you know, primitive writings against homosexuality and primitive writings against uh, all these other things. And so they use that mindset to justify everything they want to do. They want to justify their 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 feminist theology, their racial theology, their their sexual theology, and all the rest. And they, they put a lens on Scripture that validates the conclusion they want to come to. Saying. And that's, again, black liberation theology, uh, women liberation theology, all of the, the liberal destruction of scripture that uh, that we see in our in our day and age so let's uh let's not do that let's focus on what the bible is yes the bible was written in in the ancient world however it is timeless in its application and the shepherding principles continue to this day because we have shepherding responsibilities and always have that when shepherding was used it was used metaphorically more often than not and it represents the tending of uh, of the uh, of the vulnerable, the tending of the weak, the tending of whether it was children or women or orphans or widows. Uh, it, 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 when it's used metaphorically, it's talking about political leaders, and we're going to show you that. This is what's going to come out. The Bible has a huge shepherding influence, okay, throughout Old Testament and New Testament. And there were other things that the that Bible could have used. Because there were other occupations in the ancient world. There were farmers, and there's farmer illustrations. There were soldiers, and there's soldier illustrations. But when it comes to the dominant theme of Scripture, it's not military. It's not military. And I realize that, uh, you know, Brack and other churches really stress the military thing, right? And we have, we have soldier function. We have ambassadorial function. We have priestly function. And we've got to put those all in the right place. But the shepherding role is what pervades Old Testament and New Testament throughout. The shepherding role is a much greater emphasis than even soldier function, ambassadorial function, when, when, when it really comes right down to it. So, uh, I like to tell people the first martyr in the Bible was a shepherd. Okay? The first murder victim was a shepherd. You have Cain and Abel. Which one was the shepherd? Which one got killed for his faith? Alright? You want to be a pastor? Alright, that's great. Just understand, with shepherding comes conflict. And the first martyr was a shepherd, Genesis chapter 4. I go to Genesis chapter 13. I see that Lot's shepherds are in conflict with Abraham's shepherds. And you realize that uh, there's going to be conflict within shepherding, and sometimes you've got to keep the flock separate. You gotta, they handle theirs, we handle ours, and, and on that basis we can get along. All right? If we mix the shepherds, then we mix the flocks, then sometimes that's not going to work too well. So, uh, all right. Thankfully, uh, I'm not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church, and he's the one that handles all those shepherds and all those flocks, and we can handle it like that. Uh, Genesis 26, the location of wells and water provision for the, for the flocks and the conflict that happens there. Genesis chapter 30, in the, the unjust way that uh, uh, Jacob's wages were changed ten times. Lot, uh, not Lot, uh, Laban, his father-in-law, 
uh, was the only man Jacob ever met that could out Jacob Jacob. And uh, it's kind of remarkable. We learn, uh, obviously, the sons of this age are more crafty in business dealings than believers are. And, and the Lord even addressed that in the Gospels. That, uh, yeah, well, there it is. Uh, Genesis 37, you got the faithful son, Joseph, and his coat of many colors and the, the uh, hatred that that engendered uh, on the part of his brethren and uh, aspects there. So anyway, just a, a short survey through Genesis. You got all that shepherding that takes place. It continues in Exodus, where Moses is shepherding his father's flock, his father-in-law's flock, Exodus 2 and Exodus 3. I think the Moses and Jethro example is, is like a repeat of, of, uh, Joseph, of Jacob and, and Laban. The only difference is, is that Jethro is a believer. His uh, father-in-law is a priest of, uh, of Midian, and he's a believer in Yahweh, uh, Elohim. And there's uh, some interesting things to study in that. All right, you get to 1 Samuel. You got David and Goliath. David was a shepherd. And uh, David's uh, background, killing lions and bears, suited him for not only killing Goliath, but also becoming king. And God selected, not a farmer, uh, God selected a shepherd to be suited for the shepherding of his people. The kind of, you know, the the different background of our different presidents. And uh, what was it that prepared them for becoming president? Saying, and you can do a lot worse than a shepherd, let me tell you. <laughs> okay, if we had a president with a shepherding background, I would like that. All right, get a rancher in office or get somebody that, you know, um, anyway. Right. Hopefully it'll be a while before we get another community organizer. Just in my opinion, mind you. All right. Other people have different opinions. Second Samuel chapter 5. Uh, again, speaking of David and how it was that being a shepherd prepared him for being a king psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd so uh let's start with that psalm 23 and then we'll go through the, the prophets um if you want to be a pastor someday then uh start learning your shepherding passages and uh you can do a lot worse than psalm 23 yahweh wrote the lord my shepherd okay I shall not want. If uh, you have effective shepherding, then the sheep has no needs. All needs are provided. Uh, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And he does so through shepherding. He does so through a local church in the church age. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He causes my rest. He causes my rest. He leads me beside quiet waters. He exercises me. He takes me where I need to go for my feeding and my watering. He restores my soul. There is a spiritual capacity in this. And it it boggles my mind how many Christians have given over the care of their souls to Freudian unbelievers. Uh, Or even if they're regenerate, they're still unbelievers because they're not applying faith in the care of souls. The biblical care of souls, the psuche, is not for the Freudians. The biblical care of souls is for shepherds. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That there are paths, and they may, they may be fraught with dangers, but they are still the paths of righteousness. And so even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that's where the path of righteousness is taking me. I'm not going to run from the danger because I'm with my shepherd. That's his business. Okay? If a, if, a, if a sheep and a shepherd are walking along and a lion jumps out, it's not the sheep's business to go kill that lion. It's the shepherd's business to go kill that lion, right? 
And the shepherd doesn't, uh, you know, go, whew, good job there, sheep. Thanks for saving my life. Okay? The, the sheep just stands there all stupid. The sheep, you know, just waits for the shepherd to kill the lion. And this is what the Lord does on our behalf. And then, of course, he has his under-shepherd as the pastors of the flocks. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's discipline there as well. As far as uh, the hook on that staff that yanks the sheep back in a direction they're not supposed to be going, you know, stay away from that, stay away from that, don't go there. Um, The rod is a rod of discipline. You're passed under the rod, okay? There's a rod of discipline. The rod is also a rod of training. Jacob was able to train his sheep by the different color of the rod and the different stripes that he made on that rod. The striped rod, you know, uh, even uh, in the breeding of the sheep, they were trained. You can train animals to respond to stimulus. And when they see something, they do something. You train them that uh, when they eat, you train them when they mate, you train them when they, you know, if you're breeding these things and, uh, and so forth. Anyway, the rod speaks of training discipline you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you have anointed my head with oil my cup overflows surely goodness and chesed loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever was it last sunday or the sunday before bob was dealing with that verse in uh, psalm 119 about chesed okay because you come across chesed in psalm 119 and you got it right there all right so there's a shepherding passage if you want to understand shepherding now not just in a local church application because as i said you got shepherding within a marriage husbands are to shepherd their wives parents are to shepherd their children grandparents to grandchildren and you've got older brothers to younger brothers older sisters to younger sisters the 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 shepherding activity of what takes place in uh, family life or in uh, the christian life uh these these shepherding applications i think are uh, are important they're also governmental when it comes right down to it uh, Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Very, very long psalm, but you get down to the end of the psalm, verses 70 and following. The last three verses here. He also chose David, his servant, took him from the sheepfolds, from the care of the ewes and with suckling lambs. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. Why do you think integrity is critical? Why do you think character is critical? Why do you think in 1 Timothy chapter 3 when it says, if a man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work that he desires to do. And then you get six verses on character. Character and integrity. The overseer then must be the husband of one wife. Must be peaceable and gentle. And all the, I should, well we'll turn there shortly. Um, all the character traits. He can't be a drunk. He can't be a fighter. He can't be a puncher. And all the things there. He can't be a greedy man. He can't be doing it for the money. All right. According to the integrity of heart, and guided them with his skillful hands. Chachmah, wisdom. Cannot be a new convert. He has to have wisdom in the in the scriptures. Guided them with skillful hands. Doesn't mean that he's a know-it-all. Doesn't mean that he has all the answers. But it means that he has sufficient wisdom to be humble before the Lord to uh, to lead the uh, the flock. So there's Psalm 78. Isaiah 40. Let's get to the prophets now. Isaiah 40. A 
find it interesting that you have all this, all these prophets speaking about the shepherd, the shepherd, the shepherd, the shepherd, and then when you get to the the shepherd, the good shepherd that finally arrives, um, he's a carpenter, <laughs> and most of his disciples are fishermen. Okay, uh, the the motif painted the picture and anticipated and anticipated, and then when the reality came, he fulfilled the picture, but he wasn't a literal shepherd. All right, he was a carpenter. And he was, and the the fisherman, and, and the tax collector, and and uh, and so forth. And we and we go from the metaphor to the reality in a, in, a, in a very real way. I think that was uh, not by accident. All right. Comfort, oh comfort, my people, says your God. And I love the way Isaiah is a mini Bible. Thirty nine chapters uh, represents the Old Testament. Twenty seven chapters represents the New Testament. You've got uh, 66 chapters of Isaiah. There's a picture of the whole 66 books of the Bible. And so you get through 39 chapters of of Old Testament, so to speak. And Isaiah 40 is like Matthew, right? It's like the book of Matthew. It's like the start of the New Testament. And it starts with comfort, O comfort. And um, the promises of comfort and the promises of Christ. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. And we have a promise here that uh, that uh, the Christ is coming. I love this. There's there's uh, there's quite a bit in this chapter that speaks of of this. The specific shepherding stuff. Let's see. Of course, all grass withers, the flower fades, the breath of uh, the, the word of God abides forever. That's verse eight. Isn't that what Pastor Cliff uses when he starts the Bible class? There it is, Isaiah 40 and verse 8. Okay. Um, Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Now notice, when their deliverance comes, they use shepherding language. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. Second advent, right? Recompense. Reward. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. The very command that he gives to Peter, tend my sheep. Uh, In his arms, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. And I love the fact that gentleness is not contradictory to might gentleness is not uh, 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 an antonym of might it is a synonym for might because you've got might in verse 10 and you've got gentleness in verse 11 it's uh you know the 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 world looks at this and says well gentleness is a sign of weakness you know you can't be gentle you got to be tough you got to be mighty you got to be strong and that's not the case that's not the case gentleness is not weakness Gentleness is strength. All right. I mean, is is he strong enough to kill the the little lamb? Well, of course. He could kill the little lamb, no problem, because he's strong enough to kill the lions and the bears. But he's gentle enough to carry the little sheep. And that's the pattern. All right. He also got dropped in a bucket in uh, verse 15. (laughs) Right? So many idioms we think are... English uh, language. They come from Scripture. All right. Anyway, so there's uh, shepherding in Isaiah 40. Let's go to Jeremiah 23. Hopefully I'm not 
Isaiah 40 is also the mount up with wings like eagles, right? Run, not grow weary. But anyway, you want to get through this today. That's not a shepherding passage. It's a mount up with wings like eagle passage. All right, Jeremiah 23. I sat here and read to you all the verses in the Bible I like. We'd be here all day. All right, Jeremiah and, uh see, Jeremiah 23, like Psalm 23. You remember that? Psalm 23, Jeremiah 23. Um, you know, and you think about the shepherding, and you think about um, woe. Okay, this goes great with Ezekiel 34. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. And there it is. Okay, now we're talking liter- literal here or metaphor? This is metaphor. This is metaphor. Because the, the, the citizens of, of Israel are not sheep. They're human beings in various tribes. Okay, But speaking metaphorically, they are sheep, and they're God's sheep. They're the sheep of his pasture. And the shepherds, then, are those that should be caring for the weak. So we're talking about the king, the princes. We're talking about the tribal elders. We're talking about the priests and the Levites, the judges. Anybody in a spiritual capacity whereby they have authority over um, the citizens of Israel. Every tribe would have tribal elders. Each of the clans would have clan chieftains. And they are referred to as shepherds of the people. And in addition to having secular authority, they've got spiritual authority to shepherd and tend the, uh, the sheep. So therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are attending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. You are the scattering influence. There's enough scattering influence in the world. Just make sure it's not you. All right. If someone uh, walks away from doctrine because, uh, you know, like Demas loved the present world and went to Thessalonica, was that Paul's fault? Did Paul drive him away? All right. Or was it something else that drove them away? If the sheep are scattered, make sure you're not the scatterer. And now you may not be able to bring them back. You should try to bring them back. You should seek to bring them back. You should be in the prayer mode that strives to bring them back. But you can't physically force them to get back on doctrine. All right. Make sure you're not the scatterer. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you. (laughs) I love that. You didn't attend to them. I'm going to attend to you. That's a bad message. You don't want to be the recipient of that message. If God's pronouncing woe, you don't want to be the the recipient of that woe message. You did not attend to them. I'm going to attend to you. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds. So, shepherding negligence is evil. Shepherding negligence is evil. Because you're not imitating Christ at that point. You're imitating the, uh, the, the adversary, Satan. You're imitating the, the, the scatterer, the destroyer, the ravager. So, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back. No, no, it's where I have driven them. Well, I thought it was this faithless shepherd that drove them away. Now, Yahweh says, I drove. See, even though this faithless shepherd drove the sheep away, where did they run to? Well, God, in his overruling will, and his permissive will, God, in his matchless plan, uh, he's still with those sheep wherever they've gone, all right? 
when that prodigal son was out there in the in the boonies living with uh, the pagans and living it up with the harlots and so forth, why was he there instead of somewhere else? See, God and the sovereignty is bringing him to a point where he can live long enough to repent to get back. All right. Where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them. I <laughs> Guess what? You guys are going to get fired. I will raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them and they will not be afraid any longer nor be terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, days are coming. Now, in addition to the general promise comes a very specific promise now. Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. This is a messianic promise with reference to Christ, the son of David, the branch. He will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called, Yahweh Tzipkinu, the Lord our righteousness. Now, this was not realized in first advent. So was God a liar? Was he wrong about this prophecy? No, it's still unfulfilled and it is awaiting second advent in this fulfillment. He will be called Yahweh Tzipkinu, the Lord our righteousness, the second advent of Jesus Christ. Okay, now, um, without reading the rest of the chapter, you're going to notice he starts rebuking the prophets and the priests, and you'll notice uh, this is what ha- this is how we understand the who those shepherds are: the prophet and the priest. In verse 11, they're both polluted. The spiritual leaders are the representative metaphor by the shepherds. All right, so there's a shepherding passage in Jeremiah 23. How about Ezekiel 34? Ezekiel 34. Another woe message. Like an expansion on Jeremiah 23. The reason being is because as God builds upon what was revealed earlier, he just builds on it and expands on it. These readers should have already been convicted by Jeremiah 23 since they weren't. Now he's going to hit them even harder with Ezekiel 34. And it's another woe. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? It's not about you. You're not a shepherd so that you can get what you can get out of the sheep. You're not a shepherd so that you have all the meat you want, all the milk you want, all the wool you want. It's not about feeding yourself. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. And that's a problem. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. That's a problem. You got sick sheep. See, these these selfish shepherds, they don't care. You know, so they're sick. They're going to eat the fat ones anyway, so ignore that one. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But notice now, with force and severity, you have dominated them. With force and severity. It's like you scattered them back in Jeremiah 23. You drove them away. With force and severity. Now remember we saw might and gentleness. Might and gentleness. Which one was for the lion and which one was for the lamb? Okay? Gentleness for the sheep. It's with gentleness we correct those who are in opposition that perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. 
It's gentleness. The, the bondservant of the Lord must be gentle. All right. Force is for the lion. Gentleness is for the lion. And you don't, it's like we get into First Peter, you know, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be an example to the flock. All right. There's a whole lot more. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. Notice abusive shepherding is actually a lack of shepherding. Abusive shepherding is a lack of shepherding. It's like an abusive husband is a lack of husbanding. The tyrant husband is not husbanding his wife. The tyrant husband is a tyrant. The tyrant shepherd is not shepherding his flock. So, um, scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountain and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth. There was no one to search or seek for them. Now again, you may not bring them back, but you should be looking. You should be seeking. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live. Now how long is that going to be? <laughs> as I live. This is the eternal God saying, as I live. That's the language of a vow. Right? As I live is the language of a vow. It'd be like me saying, as I like cheeseburgers. Okay? I mean, now, that's kind of forceful. But what happens down the road if I quit liking cheeseburgers? That might change. When God says, as I live, he's never going to change. He's always going to live, right? Declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. My shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather my, uh, the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. I am against you. <laughs> Right? Verse 10, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. You're fired. There's other shepherds on the way. It's like uh, in Revelation 2 and 3, if you don't repent, I am removing your lampstand out of its place. Jesus Christ is rebuking those shepherds, those angels, those stars, the right-hand messengers of the local churches. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> I will make them cease from feeding sheep so the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore. But I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. And then he goes on to describe, okay, I myself will do this. I myself will do this. I myself will do this. Here's what I myself will do. Now, here's the secret. I myself does it anyway. The true shepherd, the true under-shepherd understands that the Lord is our shepherd. I'm the pastor of this church, but Jesus is the head of this church. All right, and so in my shepherding, what am I doing? I'm praying so that the Lord does the real shepherding. It's like true evangelism. Someone ought to write the sequel to Lewis Berry Schaefer's True Evangelism. We were talking about this last week. We write the, the sequel to True Evangelism. True Evangelism says that we go to intercessory prayer and we let the Holy Spirit do the convicting, the drawing, the, the, the preparation for gospel evangelism. And then later on, we can use words and, and, and finish the job. But true evangelism is being a prayer intercessor while the Holy Spirit convicts the unbeliever. That's true evangelism. Well, how about true shepherding? Whereby we are the intercessor in prayer while, not the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ shepherds this flock. While Jesus Christ works in the, in the hearts and minds of believers that are under teaching. Because uh, between Jesus and me, one of us is omnipresent. Okay? 
And it's not me. One of us is omniscient, and it's not me. Okay. Yeah, one of us is clueless, and you can call me names and do all whatever you want to do, and I'll never even know about it. Probably. That's fine. Lord knows about it. Okay. One of us is omniscient. And when sheep are out there going wherever they're going, I'm not running 199 different directions trying to chase everybody down. I'm searching, but I'm searching first. And the omniscient shepherd and the omnipresent shepherd is the one that's out there bringing you back. The, the prodigal son's father didn't go to Harlot Land and fetch the son and drag him back by his ear and bring him back. Okay, wherever Harlan wasn't pointing anywhere. Harlot Land. Okay, sorry. Harlot Land. The father stood at the boundary of his property, saw from a distance, started making the preparations so that when the son crossed the property line, came back to the uh, territory there, that's when he slayed the fatted calf. Yeah. Slew. Slayed. Slew. Slayed. Killed. I slew, he slayed. Right. Anyway, you look at what the good shepherd does here. I will feed them. I will bring them. I will care for them. I will tend them. I will bind them. Am I the one that does the binding in this church? What can I do? Like, I got a magic wand or something? People think that, you know, they call me up and say, fix this. Fix it. I'll pray with you. Okay? We'll study some scripture. We'll grow together. The problem may not go away, but we're going to have our eyes on the Lord. All right. But, you know, that's the, pretty soon, you figure, I mean, when you're a little kid and mom kisses your boo-boo, okay, it feels better. But then, you know, you grow up and you're five or six by now, right? I mean, if you're 15 years old and you still think mom's kisses fix the boo-boo, that's a problem. At a certain age, you got to figure out that, okay, mom's kiss boo-boo is nice, but it, it really isn't medical, doesn't do anything for my, my broken leg. Anyway, um, there it is. Micah, Micah 5, and then Micah 7. Hmm. Micah 5, 2, as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. The Ephrathah clan was too small. I mean, it was a clan, but it was too small of a clan to be registered among the the larger clans there of Judah. Remember, families become clans. Clans constitute the tribe. And yet, from this clan comes uh, the Christ. From you will go forth for me. One will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And here's here's 600 years before 700 years before Christ, and he pinpoints the birthplace of the Messiah in Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child, and the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And notice, he will arise and shepherd his flock. You see, by the first century, though, they didn't care about this. They just wanted to break the bonds of Rome. They wanted a political leader. They wanted a, a general. They wanted military victory. They wanted to they wanted to cast off Rome like the Maccabees did when they cast off Greece. All right? And that's what they were looking for. When Christ comes, let's devastate the Romans. Let's let's have our kingdom. The idea of shepherding 
The idea of salvation, the idea of repenting. When John the Baptist uh, baptizer came and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, therefore repent. Uh, the, the spiritual component was not popular. Okay, Shepherding. He will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. That means he's going to have might towards the lions, but gentleness towards the lambs. He's going to be correcting with a rod the sin that needs to be corrected. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. And that wasn't fulfilled in the first advent, was it? That's still waiting second advent in its fulfillment. And then you got this character here, the Assyrian, which is that the Antichrist? Is that who is that? Who's the Assyrian there in prophecy? All right, so there's a shepherding component. The Messiah is a shepherd. Two chapters later in chapter 7. And we've got more shepherding. And let's see. We've got uh, the enemy that comes, and we've got judgment. And then uh, the earth becomes desolate. But then verse 14, shepherd your people with your scepter. This is Micah 7, 14. Shepherd your people with your scepter, the flock of your possession, which dwells by itself in the woodland, in the midst of a fruitful field. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. As in the days when you came out from the land of Egypt, I will show you miracles. Nations will see and be ashamed of all their might. They will put their hand on their mouth. Their ears will be deaf. They will lick the dust like a serpent, like reptiles. Galatian, um, you know, culminates at the Battle of Armageddon in the second advent, and then they have to stand for judgment at the sheep and goat judgment. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? See, that's shepherd. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in chesed unchanging law. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. What a delight, huh? Nationally applied to Israel at Armageddon. Spiritually, of course, applied to us when we get saved. Sins have been cast in the depths of the sea. Micah 7.19 Alright, Zechariah 11. Zechariah 13. Two more prophetic passages. Two more shepherding passages. Zechariah was instructed to um, pasture the flock doomed to slaughter. Open your doors, O Lebanon. There's a fire on the way. Uh, wail. The sound of the shepherds wail. The glory is ruined and the long, young lions roar. And yet what Zechariah commanded to do, pasture the flock doomed to slaughter. Doesn't matter if a flock's doomed to slaughter, you you better be a faithful shepherd. Be a faithful shepherd whether they love you for it or hate you for it, in season or out of season. Shepherd the flock doomed to slaughter. God says, this, this nation's coming under discipline, you better be a faithful shepherd. I will no longer have pity in the inhabitants of the land. Verse 6. Verse 7, <clears throat> so I pasture the flock doomed to slaughter. <laughs> Zechariah was faithful. said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. Hence the afflicted of the flock, and took for myself two staffs, favor and union. And he pastured the flock. I annihilated the three shepherds in one month, and then there's conflict with false shepherds. 
and there's a whole prophetic message here. And in the midst of this comes the great prophecy of the uh, 30 shekels of silver in the potter's field while uh, Zechariah is shepherding a flock doomed to slaughter. Someday, I will understand Zechariah well enough to uh, teach him. It's on my short list, by the way. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Zechariah are on my short list for what we're going to do after Romans. Down to the end of the chapter, verse 17 says, Woe to the worthless shepherds who leaves the flock. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally withered. His right eye will be blown. Anyway, woe to the worthless shepherds. Uh, uh, Zechariah 13. Zechariah 13. And here's uh, a wake of sword against my shepherd, against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. <clears throat> Jesus said, I'm going to be arrested tonight. I'm going to be arrested tonight. I'm going to go to the cross. And you're going to be scattered because Yahweh is striking his shepherd so that humanity can be redeemed at the cross. And Peter said, no, Lord, this should never happen to you. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. All right. He said, you're going to be scattered. And, and Peter says, no, they'll abandon you. But I love you more than they do. I will never deny you. If I have to die with you, I'll, I'll, I'll die with you. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, Peter. And what they're saying is, we disagree with Zechariah 13. <laughs> you know? So what if it's in the Bible? We're going to keep it from happening. And so what if you say it's going to happen? We think you're a liar. Or we think you're wrong. We're going to make you a liar by proving you wrong. <clears throat> so, strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts of it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. There's always a remnant. I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, test them as gold is tested. Is this the casualty figure for the Great Tribulation? Okay. What's the remnant that, that pre, that's preserved through the uh, fire of uh, the Tribulation and Judgment? I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is my God. He can't come back at Second Advent to the same blessings are they who come in the name of the Lord. All right, so there's shepherding in the Old Testament. John 10 and John 21, two chapters in the Gospel of John. <clears throat> John 10 and John 21. Of course, John 21 is our passage today. Tend my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. But in John 10, we find out that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Right? I am the good shepherd. All who came before me are uh, robbers, thieves and robbers. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Wasn't that the description of the faithless shepherds in the Old Testament? Right? That's, that's a faithless shepherd. He's just a thief. I came that they might have life and may have it abundantly. The only way you will ever walk the abundant Christian walk in the church age is to be under the shepherding ministry of a pastor teacher in a local church. There it is. You're taping it. You're Joe Hermit Christian living in a cave. You will never experience the abundant Christian life that takes shepherding. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He applies the agape love towards, and there's no greater love. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Right? That's the hireling. That's what we have today. American Christianity, that's, that's a CEO. He's been trained to supervise a corporation. His, uh, his deacons are, or his el- fellow elders are a, are a board of, uh, you know, a corporate board. And you end up with uh, executive pastors along with administrative pastors, along with senior pastors and youth pastors and visitation pastors. And it's all a, it's a, it's a staff, very corporate. And they answer to the board, to the corporate board. And if profits aren't up, then uh, the, the, the board uh, does what it has to do. All right. But I'm not judging. I'm just saying the answer to the Lord like I do. I just know what we're not going to replicate here. I'll tell you that. Okay. So don't read the newsletters and think that the, the plurality of elders emphasis is headed that direction. It's not headed that direction. When, when God gives a plurality of elders, it's not to create a corporation. All right. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Pastoral appreciation is ultimately know your shepherd and know who the real shepherd is because he knows you or he's supposed to know you. If uh, you don't let him know you, if all you let him know is the hypocrite that you present yourself as when you show up to be all nicey-nicey on a Sunday morning, but the real you is the the, uh, pagan Monday through Saturday, well, then your shepherd doesn't know you, does he? But the good shepherd does, okay? You can lie to the human being all you like. Anyway, there's uh, a shepherding passage in chapter 10. Chapter 21 is where we are today. But it doesn't stop there. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. On our way to 1 Peter 5. There are two powerful shepherding passages in the New Testament beyond the Gospels when you get to Acts and the Epistle. And in Acts 20, Luke records a message of, of, uh, of Paul's. So you've got Paul and Peter in this. Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> and you notice verse 17. He sent to Ephesus and he called to him the elders, plural, of the church, singular. All right. He calls for the elders, plural, of the church, singular. When they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know, so they're elders. Keep that in mind. They're elders in verse 27. All right, because they're going to be called uh, overseers. In a few more verses, down to verse uh, 28. Same group. Elders and overseers are the same group. Different word, but same group. In this context, same group. Not every elder is in the office of overseer, but these ones are. So, uh, you yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. That's verse 18. Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials. Shepherding takes conflict. There it is. Which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Saying, that's how you wash your hands of the blood. You've got to warn the flock. You've got to teach the truth teaching you publicly and from house to house. Here in church, from the pulpit, this is publicly. From house to house, when we're privately shepherding, we're privately teaching, we're privately encouraging, that's from house to house. All right, you get on down here. Verse 25, you'll no longer see my face. 
uh, verse 26, I testify to you this day I'm innocent of the blood of all men, because he's taught it. He's taught it. If you, if you duck an issue, then the blood's on your hands. But if you teach it, your hands are clean. And those believers either got to apply doctrine or not, and they face the discipline they face. For I do not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. The whole purpose of God. You know, <clears throat> shepherd that, that teaches 40 times a year has got to answer to the Lord and ask himself, am I innocent of the blood of all men? Am I teaching the whole council? Am I equipping my sheep? Now, I'm not trying to assign a number to it or say, you know, if you teach 100 or more or 200 or more or 300 or more. We're not legalistic about it. All right. And I'm not saying that a guy that teaches 40 a year can't shepherd his flock. It's just a different understanding than I have. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> In a Romans 14 faith conviction, he's got to be convicted that that feeds a flock. I know I myself would starve if I only ate 40 times a year. <clears throat> you know, in earthly food, I eat more than 40 times a year. All right. But now notice the whole purpose of God. And then in verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. I, I can't tell you. <coughs> Obviously, be on guard for the flock, take care of them, shepherd them, you know, protect them. But it, before you can protect them, you've got to protect you, your fellow elders, your fellow shepherds. Be on guard for yourselves. Especially if you've got a younger shepherd that's in training that may not see some of the snares. <clears throat> be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, there you go. Elders and overseers are interchangeable, interrelated terms. They're not pure synonyms. Elder is maturity status. Overseer is an office. And every believer should grow to an elder status. If you grow from baby to adolescent to mature, every believer should ought to, ought to become elder at a certain point. By now, you should be elders, is what, Paul told, what the author told Hebrews. Anyway, um, I'm speaking too fast now that I'm looking at the clock. Every believer can grow to elder status. And elder women can encourage the younger women. Elder men teach the younger men and so forth. But elder men are also eligible for the office of overseer, provided that they meet those qualifications in First Timothy chapter 3. And these elders were also overseers, as it says here, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So not every elder is an overseer. But the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. In other words, the elders who are overseers ought to be considered worthy of double honor. The elders who are not overseers, they don't rule, probably because they've stepped away for a season, they've been removed from a season, maybe they got involved in a gross sin thing, they've got to recover from that. They're no longer qualified in, in 1 Timothy 3. So they're out of the office, but they still have their gift, they still have their maturity status. Anyway, they weren't on guard for themselves, and so they fell. Let him who thinks he stands, take heed, let him fall. Notice now, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers for the purpose of shepherding. For the purpose of shepherding. Elder overseers are expected to shepherd. Which is why the gift of shepherd teacher is the gift that's best suited for this office. 
That's why the gift of shepherd over uh, shepherd teacher is the gift that when is serving in this office reaches that elder status quicker than you might expect. Certainly, uh, Timothy was older than his biological years. All right, shepherds tend to grow up spiritually on an accelerated basis. That's just the nature of the beast. It's the nature of the of the ministry. I think evangelists also grow up faster than to be expected based on the nature of that ministry. I know that after me, my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. All right, so elder, overseer, pastor, teacher. The whole doctrinal study right there on elder, overseer, pastor, teacher. Keeping that trinity of terms distinct and yet related, I think, is is, is important. Why uh, we're going through it right now in the in the uh, newsletter. That's why we're recommending that you listen to those messages on the uh, Constitution class that we had a year ago. Understand what, what an elder, an overseer, and a pastor, teacher are. Understand what a flock is. And of those terms, it doesn't say, you know, it's not nursery for uh, the those that elders care for. And it's not uh, slaves that an overseer might have dominion over. It's a flock that a shepherd cares for. The collective noun for the uh, for the tended ones is the flock. The dangers coming in are wolves. They relate to the shepherd metaphor. They don't relate to the elder metaphor. They don't relate to the overseer metaphor. They relate to the shepherd metaphor. It's wolves coming in. Those that are supervised, again, they don't rec- they're, they're identified by the shepherd metaphor. But be on guard for yourselves. From among your own selves, you elders, men will arise speaking perverse things. That's why you've got to be on guard for yourselves and for the flock. Watch out for your fellow elders. Look out for one another. Stand back to back and look out for each other. And uh, again, not just uh, for peers, but for those in training, for the younger men. Help them to spot the snares they wouldn't spot otherwise. Otherwise, they go off speaking perverse things and become pastor perverts. All right, finally, 1 Peter 5. I got 45 seconds to teach 1 Peter 5. That's easy. Peter learned his shepherding lesson, okay? And I'll just save this for next week. Hmm. And if we don't have <coughs> if we don't have enough left for next week, then we'll move on to episode ten. <coughs> ten my sheep, ten my lambs, feed my sheep, ten my sheep. And Peter got it. I know he got it because he wrote this, <laughs> right? He calls himself a fellow elder. He says, "Shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. Shepherds the imperative. Shepherds the imperative. You got elder." But you don't have an imperative to be elder, right? You have overseers. Do we have an imperative to be overseers? Yeah, kind of. But only in tandem to the imperative of shepherd. It says exercising oversight is a participle that gives attendant circumstances to the main imperative. The main imperative is shepherd. You shepherd as you exercise the oversight nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge. I love that. You can't be a tyrant. If you're lording it over those allotted to your charge, you're violating Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34. All right.
Thank you, Father, for today, for your faithfulness. Thank you for the Lord's message to Peter, the impact it had on him that night. And it continued, Father, to have impact through the years as he ministered and then in the writing of First and Second Peter, Father. And it continues to bear fruit today. I thank you for um, the significant shepherding emphasis of Scripture and how it shapes this ministry, Father, how it should shape every local church ministry. I pray that more and more churches, especially if, if there's flocks that, uh, that emphasize the teaching and ignore the shepherding, Father, uh, work in that. Work in that. Because uh, sheep need a shepherd, Father. And I thank you in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.